Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on worship leading for guitarists. My start into the music world came as a teenager playing campfire songs with my friends in the church youth group. Soon, that turned into playing in a garage band with some friends. We played a pretty eclectic catalog of Skinner, Nirvana, Police, Sublime, Tom Petty, and so on and so on. My brother, who was a stellar guitar player at the time, joined a music ministry group, and then that's when I really started to pay attention to Christian music like Jars of Clay, Newsboys, Audio Adrenaline, and Third Day. Of course... At that time, the late 90s, early 2000s, worship music was very different than it is now. Most of the music at that time was chasing the sound of the popular music found out on secular radio. Genres like ska, punk, rock, hip-hop, alternative, and especially pop music itself. The more Christian music evolved and was played on the radio, the more churches began welcoming it into their worship centers and into their sanctuaries to use in the service. This actually caused a need for the contemporary styled musician, and fortunately for the churches, there were many musicians looking for a place to play. But is there a worship music sound? Is there certain gear or tones associated with it? What stereotypes are there? How different is playing worship music than secular music? Is there a difference between being the worship leader and the worship director? And how do you prepare yourself for leading worship? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Barber on the Tweed Couch. Well, Barber, thank you so much for doing some therapy, man. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about this subject because... You recently got a new job, and I think that with your new job, you have some insight on this. So why don't you give everyone just a brief synopsis of what it is that you do? Cool, yeah. So I uh, just started as an associate worship arts director at a church called Hope United Methodist um, in Voorhees, New Jersey. Uh, I've been there for uh, like two months now. I love it. Um, I always tell people that this is a people person job that I get to play music uh, occasionally. So really, like, I just get to interact and and sort of uh, minister to a bunch of different really cool musicians and tech people. And I'm settling in and really excited. So, are you a worship director or are you like just a worship leader? Director, technically. So I do both. So I. I lead worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, um, it's going to be two to three times out of the month. And then there are some volunteer worship leaders that also will do the leading. But then I'm also planning the services. I am looking ahead to plan special services and then also mentoring and, and fostering relationships with younger worship leaders, not necessarily in age, but in, in experience working with them to be uh, better musicians and worship leaders. That Well, that's cool. It's interesting that idea of worship director versus like a worship leader, because mm-hmm. a lot of people will go, oh, that's the same thing. But it is definitely not the same thing because yeah. I'm, I'm a worship leader. I don't pick the songs. I don't pick the arrangements. I don't pick the theme. I don't pick the placement of the musicians. I don't coordinate the musicians. I just simply implement 
the plan. And that is a gift and that is uh, definitely a blessing to be a part of that. But it's definitely different than being the director because you also have to have that idea of not only how do I want it to look, what is considered worshipful, but then at the same time, how does it flow and who's going to be there? And that's more of the administrative type stuff. Yeah. And then and learning how to like speak the language of your pastors, like when your pastor oh, says, yeah. this is what I'm thinking of doing, you need to be able to understand that and translate that and, and help the music part of the worship experience uh, really speak to what the overall theme is. Because at the end of the day, like the vision of the church and even like the service really does come from the senior pastors. Or sometimes it's just he starts it and you finish it or he, he or she, you know, that. But um, whoever's preaching on that Sunday. But yeah, that is as a worship leader and director's job. It's really collaborating with others to make sure that there is like a cohesive thought on a Sunday morning, or if it's a sermon series on a group of Sunday mornings. So that probably leads us to our first little talk in this therapy, which is what does worship leading actually mean to you? Because for me, I feel like it's all in the name, you know, like it is, it's there, it's worship leading, but it's also all in the subject. You know, what is it actually about? Like the people being led are are coming from all sorts of backgrounds. They're coming from all sorts of struggles and brokenness and selfishness and humility and joy and excitement. So like that's that's why you're there to to try and lead them. But then there's also the subject, which is which is our God, whom we owe everything to and who who gives us our provisions and our gifts and our opportunities. And yet at the same time, we continually ask for more and defy him. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to that to unpack, but, but to me that worship leading is really, it's, it's being that offering. It's giving that service. It is trying to be a blessing and using God's blessings and doing all of these things with his creation. Mm, I, think that's I don't really, know if that all makes sense. It's really, it, it's, it seems complex, I think. So I've been using uh, the word or the phrase worship facilitator a lot lately. Um, and I yeah. think that that actually, in some ways, is a better description of what we do. I looked up the definition of facilitator to be prepared for this question as you were talking. And it's a person or thing that makes an action or process easy or easier. And I think what we are doing is we, as worship leaders, are facilitating a congregation to engage externally with Christ. For me, the word leader means follow, like someone is following. And when you're following something, you rarely pass that thing that's leading, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, yeah. So I think it's important that like we, as worship leaders, create a space where people can come to their own sort of level of worship of God. I'm not going to stop saying the phrase worship leader, but I've been saying, like, I see us as more worship facilitators more lately, just because we're there to to create something, a create a space for people to have an external adoration of God. Well, and that's important, too, because I, I like what you're saying with that whole idea of facilitating, because the idea of leading is also something that you could look at as there is a hierarchy 
there is someone at the top. And if I'm the one leading, I'm saying I'm at the top. Mm-hmm. But that is actually not necessarily what worship leading is as far as the person singing the song or playing the song or picking the songs. Mm-hmm. It really is trying to say, okay, you may come with this struggle. You may come with this brokenness. You may come with this type of narcissism, whatever it is. And essentially, what I'm trying to do is facilitate you to come to that revelation of whatever it is that, that God is trying to put on your heart in that time. Amen. Agreed. And I think in order to get the understanding of what worship leading is, like what does that mean to you? Like taking a step back and, well, what is worship? And I've tried to like simplify that answer as much as possible. I, it, it, there's nuance to it, but I said it just a there second ago. Lots of ago. them, yeah. Yeah, but for me, worship and, and corporate worship, you know, the group worship is an external adoration of and to God. Um, and and that to me, so like when you understand that, that's really kind of what when you're worshiping, you're 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 giving that adoration to God in response to what he's already done first. Um, So when I facilitate or lead that, I am bringing people together to sort of set them up to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, that's the reason why these leadership roles are not necessarily roles that should be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you can play guitar doesn't mean you should be a worship leader. Just because you can sing doesn't mean you should be a worship leader. And I think a lot of it does probably goes into the next little question in this little therapy session. And that is, as a guitarist leading worship, what are some good practices to have? And one of them is your own spiritual life actually impacts your ability to lead the people because the the people can spot a fake the people don't like being told what it is that you're not yourself willing to do mm-hmm. you know they they don't want that kind of thing and so a good practice is making sure that your heart's in the right place and your understanding's in the right place and you actually can lead from that place yeah there's a there's a a uh like a live music in the secular world, a live music sort of concept that a crowd will never get more into something that the band that's in front of them is doing. And that's why oftentimes when you see a band on stage, they're like seriously hype and it's like really intense. And it's because like they're taking the cues that the audience is taking the cues from the band. And I think there's a similar concept and it's maybe not as simple as that, in worship that like a congregation is only not only it, it, a congregation is taking its cues from the people that are leading them so if 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 you're not as a worship leader really worshiping like that translates and comes through and oftentimes makes sunday morning feel like stale because it's not authentic Yeah, and that actually brings up an interesting point as well, because as the musician, a lot of the difficulty in being the guitarist, whether you are the one who's leading the entire song or you're just the side guy doing your thing, sometimes it's really difficult to be able to be in worship yourself because you're thinking mechanically. Mm. And so that actually probably brings up another thing that as a a worship guitarist leading worship, a good practice is just your preparation. 150%. 
when you're not having to figure it out on the fly and be creative on the fly, then it actually lets you be in a place to where all of a sudden you're doing exactly what you've done robotic every single time because you Mm -hmm. are completely prepared. And then you do something different just out of nowhere and you don't realize why you did it different. But, you know, maybe it's the spirit moving, maybe whatever it is. And that right there brings it to a new level. And Mm -hmm. it's because you were prepared. You aren't thinking about, well, what does it say on the sheet? Yeah. Oh, you just let the things move because you already knew what was on the sheet and it went. Yeah. You know, and and honestly, a way of doing that is just making sure you've heard the music before, like a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That you're familiar with it. I always say, like, if I can hear a song in my head, I can regurgitate it, even if it's if it's a song I've never played before. If I if I can hear it in my head. I can play it. And so like part of my job of getting ready, you know, on a weekly basis is just living in the song and, 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 and whether it's a listening to a recording of it or playing it or, um, you know, praying over the lyrics and taking some time to understand like, well, what does that specifically mean? Like why did so-and-so write it that way? And, And so, yeah, you have to live in, the song so that when you're there on a Sunday morning, you are fully prepared and you have like a full arsenal, if you will, of things to pull from when you need to. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you put it that way, too, of embracing it even for the entire week, embracing it throughout all of the time that you have in thinking about what it is you're about to do. Mm hmm. I think it's really important when people look at the preparation and hearing the song and knowing the song. Yeah, it may not be just like the the album. It may not be just like what you heard on the radio. And that's fine. Man, make it your own. Do what your church needs. If your church needs 19 choruses, if they need a chant going on in the background, if they need silence, if they need an acapella part, whatever it is, do it. Great. There's no problem in that. But if the band is all feeling it, the congregation is feeling it, just because your worship service says this song is supposed to take four minutes and 32 seconds doesn't mean it can't take four minutes and 48 seconds because you decided to repeat a tagline a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Read the room is a big deal. And that's preparation that gets you there. Going back to what you said earlier about not letting it, not needing it to sound like the recording. I always say, don't bother trying because you won't be able to do it. No. Just go ahead and play the actual recording. If you want it to sound like the CD or the album, play the album because that's the only way it's going to happen. Because you weren't yeah. there when it happened. You don't have the exact musicianship with all the exact drum sounds and the exact backing tracks. Like we're not right. called to we're not called to regurgitate something that's already been created. We're called to create something new um, for that specific moment in time. Right. The fact is, and we're actually going to have a little bit of fun with this, and we're going to talk about some stereotypes that you actually end up seeing on stage and stuff. But, you know, a little spoiler alert, a lot of these songs that you hear on the radio have a lot of different tracks that you would have to have 15 band members, 20 Mm. band members to make it happen. And most contemporary worship bands that are like contemporary worship like services that you have, Many of them, they have maybe 19 singers, mm-hmm. but they don't have two guitar players yeah, or three yeah. guitar players or five guitar players, including the one that plays the mandolin and the dobro. Like, 
There some other like I think important things you asked about like what are good practices of like worship leaders, especially when you're playing guitar. Like one that's more just like a nuts and bolts thing. That's more just for singing and playing. That is something I talk about a lot. Is that if you're singing and playing an instrument, the instrument needs to be so um, down in your brain, meaning you you have it that it's something you don't even think about. Because the minute you start thinking about what you're playing, your intonation when you're singing goes off. It 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 that's just how our brains are wired. The guitar part needs to become. Uh, just uniform and, and ro- robotic in the sense that you don't have to think about it. It's second nature. Yes, it has to be. Or or you your singing will suffer. That is one thing I always tell people. One of the things that has always been something that I've looked at and gone, dang, like that's that's too, totally impressive, is like watching Keith Urban. Mm. Keith Urban can be wailing on a solo while he's singing something, and you just go, how is he able to hit that pitch? And play those notes and do all that. And it's not because he's just that good that he did it all on his own. It's because he practiced that much to make the guitar so second nature yeah. that the vocals just happen. And I understand that I'm equating a secular artist with this, you know, worship thing that we're talking about, but ultimately it's a gift and it's, and it's something that we're using and it's something that be admired, you know, to admire how someone else does something and look at that gift and go, ooh, now that's great. What a gift that is. Yeah. It's not pointing someone else out and going, okay, they're an idol. No, 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 no. It's just saying, man, Chris Tomlin hits notes that I look at and go, a man your size and your age should not hit those notes, but somehow mm-hmm. he'll hit some. He puts things in keys that are just all over the place, and that's a testament to a gift that's given. So whether they are a Christian artist or not, I think you can look at something and go, during this song in this service, I was channeling a Van Halen riff. And that's okay. That is okay. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that I think is a good, a guitarist leading worship good practice would be making sure that you know your role. And I guess that would be like tastefulness. Yeah. You know, Know your role. More does not equal better. You may be the most fantastic, like, blues musician, but the fact is, is that blues in a contemporary worship, Hillsong, Bethel, Crowder type thing, not always Mm -hmm. is the right type of riff. I always tell people you're not getting paid by the note. Yeah. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Yeah. Very true. Well, and actually, for tastefulness, that would even go to the tones themselves. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I think another thing, too, about knowing your role or knowing your place, like, at the end of the day, we are the musicians, the instrumentalists, are there to help support music for people to, most of the time, not always, sing along to. Like, that's what we do. We spend a lot of time, like, singing together as a congregation. Uh, so I sometimes, especially bass players, I'll tell the bassist to sing along with what they're playing. And if they are unable to sing with what they're playing, that the rest of the congregation probably can't either. Uh, because uh. so like really that, that kind of that tastefulness, like functionally, like you need to make sure that you're able to create a space for people to still worship externally. Uh, and then also knowing that there's probably going to be a part in the song, a moment 
where you can go a little bit more. Like, it's knowing that one yeah. moment for that hiccup, that good hiccup. Of, okay, now we're going to have a quick interlude where the guitar player can praise him with your fingers instead of your vocal cords. Like, right. Those things are okay, too. Sometimes I feel like when I go and see someone doing contemporary worship and I hear the guitar player, I often go, you need to turn the gain down. Like, like electric guitar, you know, you, yeah. you need to turn the gain down because sometimes I'll show up and it's like they have it on insanity on the line six, <laughs> like amplifier. And you're just like, what is going on? Like, yeah. like it has a place. It does have a place in worship. Absolutely. But not, not that all songs should have it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just because it covers up your mistakes doesn't mean that the tone itself is not a mistake. 150, 200% true. That is something <laughs> yeah. I wrestle with a lot of, like, the tone of your music. Like, that there needs to be, like, a lyricalness to it, so there needs to be a clarity in tone. You can still have overdriven sound, but it, it needs to, you still need to be, you need to be able to hear the pristineness of the notes at times, too. Yeah, and I guess I guess the next statement would be to say something like, you may not be getting paid by the note, but you're also not getting paid by the dial of your gain or volume <laughs> on your amplifier. Well, there is another thing that I think helps out as a good practice for musicians. And I don't know if you do this. Do you bring a backup of things? Almost always, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good practice to bring a backup. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I don't bring a backup amplifier. Mm-mm. I really should. I mean, it's not like it's that hard for me to just toss the like HX stomp in yeah. in my bag. It's so small. At least would get through the service. It would do mm-hmm. just fine. Yeah. I don't bring an extra guitar, but part of the reason why I don't bring an extra guitar is because I don't break strings usually. Mm. But all it takes is one string to go bad or one bird to yeah. show up. Now, what I have on my side is my son, actually, my 13-year-old cork sniffer. He <laughs> actually is playing over in the youth area and he is done before we start service. So I could go grab his guitar and plug in because he plays good stuff. So, you know, it all, well, you know me, so it has to be not only functional, but it has to be like the, the nicest action and Mm -hmm. it's got to make sure that it just plays the best. It's not about how expensive the guitar is. It's how well it functions for him. Yeah. Yeah. And so everything plays like I want it to play. And then I go, Mm -hmm. here you go. This is the way it should play. And then he plays it. Yeah. But there's other things that I think are important to make sure that you have in your tool belt because you never know when all of a sudden you show up and they go, let's change the key. Yeah. So having a capo, even if you don't use capos, Capos aren't naughty. Like that's I think I think electric guitar players have a, a thing against using capos just because it's like they Maybe. feel like it's lazy. <laughs> but I had a worship leader growing up that felt that way and he was an old head. I mean he played in the seventies at you know, in bars in, in Ocean City. That was like he did that full time for a living and it was all, you know, he planked her electric and so he was really against it when I first met him. And I was playing with him. And when he finally learned that, like, especially for acoustic guitar, that, like, we'll say that, like, B-flat as a guitar chord, for example. Yeah. 
if you're just playing without a capo, it sounds doesn't sound very full, but you can get a better voicing if you put a, you know if you put a capo on the third fret and play a G chord, that's a B flat, and that yep. voicing feels more full. So it's it's all about like the voicing and the ease of singing over. Uh, so capos aren't bad. They're they're a tool well, that are used in the right situation. I, I and I agree with you. I used to be so anti capo, going well. Why don't you just learn how to play it right? Mm-hmm. But with that said, you know I got two great examples. One, one I think many people will be able to hear the difference if I were to say it, where you play something in A, and you play that A chord. The A doesn't ring. Like, it lacks a little bit of low-end definition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds great distorted. It's awesome for blues. It's all I can say. But you play an A, and it's, it's good. But if you capo the second fret, and you play it as a G, a G rings and sparkles. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. And for those that can't really hear that, my second example is, let's talk about the Beatles. Hmm. If you were to play... Here comes the sun from the Beatles without a capo all the way up on, what is it, like the 10th fret or something? Mm-hmm. That song does not sound the same at all. Yeah. And I think that the capo plays, it is possibly the melody. It is also possibly the, the lead line or the hook that is found mm-hmm. in a song. You know, it rap songs, they always have that like, that, that hi-hat st- Mm-hmm. You know, and in your worship songs, a lot of times it's that kick drum and toms yeah. that gives that like movement in the song. And when you're looking at rock and roll, you know, a lot of times it's the bass that really rules the rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And putting a capo on a guitar, it could be just right for that song and ruling what, what moves that song along the right way. Agreed. Agreed. I'm sure there's other stuff, you know, that you need to make sure you have, you know, like strings and all that kind of stuff. But we should probably get to... Oh, that's a big one, though. Always have extra strings. This is just a good guitar practice. It drives me crazy (laughs) when someone shows up to a thing and they break a string and they're like, Hey, man, you got a string? And I'm like, don't you? I always have a minimum of two sets of extra strings per guitar that I have with me. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'm i that way with that as well as batteries Yeah, because it drives me nuts because I'm, I'm completely wireless. I have a wireless mic. I have a wireless guitar. I have a wireless in-ear pack. I am completely wireless. So when I show up and all of a sudden one of them's dying or dead, if I don't have at least three sets of AA batteries yeah. and sets. So like two a piece, so six AA batteries, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm screwed. Yeah. I think at our church we have like over 32 AA battery rechargeable ones um, yeah. back at our sound booth at all times. Because we, yeah. I mean, we, have, we have four wireless microphones usually going, and then we have the belt pack, you know, with the headset mics for the pastors. And then we also use wireless in here. So, yeah, we, we use, yeah, I mean, that's just so essential. Yeah, you've, you've got to have it. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about stereotypes, but we're going to do that after a word from the sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, 
then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In July of 2022, they will have two festivals once again. One at the Sunnyview Fairgrounds in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and the other at the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bonagua, Tennessee. I'll see you there. Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Crestman Guitar Company has been repairing stringed instruments and building custom guitars and basses. In 2021, Kretzman started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at KretzmanGuitars.com. That's K-R-E-T-Z-M-A-N-N guitars.com all right barber well i think the people want to hear if they stuck around through sponsors then they want to hear this they want to hear what are some of the stereotypes that you often see with people who are doing worship leading so why don't you go ahead and give me one or two so i think a more recent one um for men is uh the skinny jeans uh that's oh um, yeah that's definitely um a thing um, totally I, on my list, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing I've noticed more lately is for acoustic guitar players who are also like the worship leaders, it's double O, triple O, or parlor size guitars. So they're smaller body guitars. Yes. Um, I noticed it when I, uh, I was watching, it was like Brandon Lake was playing with one of the guys from Elevation, and they both had just the teeniest little guitars. And I, for a second, was like, is that a three-quarter size? But no, it was a parlor. Uh, the one guy was using a parlor guitar. So that's definitely gone are the days of the dreadnought. I'm just going to say it. Uh, especially yeah. when, when yeah. things are acoustic electric now. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the skinny jeans. Because I had skinny jeans or looking homeless. Mm, that was yeah. <laughs> That was a big one. Plaids have started to go away. It used yeah. to be like everything was like buffalo plaid mm-hmm. and you had to have some sort of a beanie that was like sagging off of to one side and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But that started to go. But the skinny jeans, they're sticking around. Yes. Give it a couple of years and I think that'll go away. Yeah. And then it'll be bell bottoms and, <laughs> you know, because yep. and then it'll be stonewash jeans. Yeah. 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 And then we're back to the Actually, 90s. basketball shoes. Remember back when we were kids, basketball shoes, you were the coolest if you yeah. had like Jordans and they were basketball shoes. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed at LifeFest was every drummer, for the most part, had like Jordan ones on, hmm. like almost every one of them. And yeah. I was like, what, is there some sort of like a meeting that they go to? And they're like, okay, what are we doing this year? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Jordan ones, you, get, you, do, you good with the J's? You good with J? All right, let's do this. It was, it was crazy which is funny because i already wore them and i was like yes here i am <laughs> i've come it. into style or i started a trend i don't know uh with uh, i would say with electric guitar worship stuff i've noticed that like boutique stuff is really popular like that's a stereotype yeah like they always are gonna have like a jhs pedal on the board like the morning glory oh yeah like that yeah yep. so I've, I've noticed that like boutique pedals or an h9 yep even oh 100 yep 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 it, it, the more ethereal the delays mm. and reverbs can be yeah. and, and the longer the trails can be. Yeah. Like that's one thing I've noticed with worship guitar is when it comes to electric guitar, 
a lot of times it's more about using it like a synthesizer than it is using it a guitar. Yeah. It, I mean, it stems from the the house of U2. I mean, like U2 was... Oh, yeah. That was like the... Like Joshua Tree, that album is yep. like all the drum sounds you hear in Worship Today, but then also a lot of the guitar stuff. Like that's yep. that type of music. Um, and it stayed. I'm surprised it, it has stuck really. It's not going anywhere. I mean, you definitely are hearing a no. little bit more heavier gain stuff lately mm-hmm. but like also like that's just on certain parts and then it's back to like yeah delay and <laughs> ambient reverb wispiness yeah <laughs> yeah well and that is something that i find really interesting as well is in the christian music genre mm-hmm. that has been out there for decades and decades yeah we've always been chasing after something we chased after rock and roll we chased after ska we chased after um reggae we chased after hip-hop we've Mm. chased after alternative punk i mean we we've chased after everything yeah and i think finally contemporary music like christian music has a sound yeah and that's that's different than i think we've ever had before yeah and I think a lot of it we can credit to the fact that many people have a modeler. That is a stereotype yeah. of Christian music. I think there are so many people that go, yeah, I'll just toss it on my helix. Yeah. There's your stereotype. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And I mean, but that, I mean, that stems from just functionality that like, you know, I don't really have, I mean, I do, but I wouldn't want to ever just stick an amp on stage uh because that will really mess with my stage volume so it's easier just yeah. to have everything coming out of the board uh so yeah that's just yeah. a function of thing but yes that definitely has become a stereotype what do you think about this one offset guitars because for a long time offset guitars was christian music everywhere mm-hmm. but i've started to see more like single cut things like tellies and strats yeah you know which are double cut but you know yeah. like but none of them are actually tellies or strats they're all s style and t style guitars mm-hmm. yeah and that's again the boutique the veritas yeah. of the world and the other oh, yeah. veritas mm-hmm. i mean they sound great when other people play them and i've never <laughs> played one but that headstock God i have me. i have a friend that got one and he had it for about three months and sold it because he just said why it didn't fit him. Yeah. And he Did made he money. Pull the he, coin off the headstock, flip it, and say, heads, I keep it, tails, I don't? He, that- made mo- he made good money off of it, too. I mean, I think he made almost yeah. like eight, nine hundred bucks from the sale, from what he Golly. got for it. Yeah, it was something crazy. Well, and I, there's a lot of boutique stuff that's doing that right now. Um, mm-hmm. I know that, like, Novo, you can put in an order for a Novo right now, and it will cost you less than trying to buy it second hand my my friend i was just telling you about did that exact same thing and yeah. sold it and made a quite a pretty penny off of it he said that for the amount of money he paid for it i don't remember which one it was i i could ask him uh he said that for the amount of money he paid what he got was not worth it uh yeah. so and he knew that he could get money back for it selling it second hand and he did he had it he had that for like two months he really did not last yeah. long because he was just yeah. so disappointed by he just said that the quality wasn't twenty five hundred dollars or how much you know he got for it. Yeah, this is for the the Novo or the uh, the Novo Veritas. Yeah, wow. Well, and you know, and I'm I'm interested to see. Actually, Jason did an order 
He's mm. he's going to get a Novo. It's supposed to come in. And I love that headstock. And I love that look. And I'm really curious on on how it plays and how it looks. Because keep in mind, this is also, you know, our gear is personal. Mm-hmm. You know, I play a Les Paul. I play a PRS. I play a, a Strat or a Tele. And when I play it, it's it feels right. It looks right. It, it does right. And then I'll play somebody else's Les Paul or PRS or Strat. And I'll go, mm, no. Yeah. Nope. This one does not speak to me. I do not like this one. And, and they love it. Yeah. You know? I think that also kind of bringing it back to our worship leader thing, too. I think worship musicians are some of the more, maybe not all, but like the more like seasoned ones are the most persnickety with their stuff. Like they oh, like yeah. what they like, and it's like, hey, can I bring this in for you to try? No, I think I'm okay. I would rather just stick yeah. with what I've got. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, I know that for me, like I, I'm willing to borrow stuff if I need to borrow stuff, but at the same time, I I also know how this works. What mm-hmm. I've got, I know how it works, and I know how it fits, and I I don't want to be off guard. I don't want to. Yeah. Know, you know, so another stereotype that actually reminded me the whole idea of like, oh, I, I need to have what I have and do what I do is like actions. Mm. There are a lot of stereotype actions that worship leaders will use. You know, like you get the hand raised, mm-hmm. you know, while leading, pointing at the sky or something like that, closing the eyes while singing. Yep. Like, how often do you see Eric Clapton closing his eyes while he's singing? You know, you know, you don't see that. You'll see him close his eyes while he's doing a solo or something because yeah, he's just trying yeah. to feel the, you know, the sound or whatever. But I mean, that's something. Actually, singing. Okay, so that brings up another one. When worship leaders sing, they like to mumble and whisper. Yeah. Like that's a that's a stereotype. They're like, oh yes, uh, you're like, what? What did you say? What is it? Like, they're trying to create dynamics unnecessarily. You know. Well, maybe they're getting paid by the note, and we just don't know it. That's true. That's true. That's right. Getting those Jesus bucks, not those real bucks, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because, <laughs> yeah, we're earning our way to heaven. No, stop it. Don't. <laughs> 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 I'm going to get emails on this. That's it. Yeah, no. Would like to specify that he is just joking. Yes, very much so. Okay, so the, my last stereotype that I have to it. Uh, the stereotype that I refer to as the Leonard Skinnerd effect. Leonard Skinnerd had like four backup singers, four or five guitar players, drummer, the keyboard player, a singer that was all on his own leading, and they've loaded the deck. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that a lot with contemporary musicians that are, you know, really going out there. And the next thing you know, it's like, okay, so who's singing? We all need a mic. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we need we need six mics. No, no, no. The drummer too. Oh, okay. Seven mics. Got it. All right. So how many channels do we need for the drums? Fourteen. Fourteen channels. Well, yeah, we like to top and bottom mic these things. Plus we have the claves and the gong. And mm. then we've got it's like, what is going on right here? You know? Yeah. No, and that's there, uh... there's something about loading the deck. Yeah. And getting no. all the channels. And I think that's because like like a fullness of sound thing that like you it need is. that, but like uh, some of the fullest sounds I've ever heard, we had like four people on stage, you know? Yeah. Well, look at Rush. 
-hmm. That's three people. It's a power trio. Look at ZZ Top. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are, these are people that can make it happen with, with very little. Mm -hmm. But any more of the stuff that we see whenever we see people playing, like the big artists playing, you know, they'll have like 16 channels that they need for, for their instruments and their vocals and everything. But then they need another 23 channels for the tracks. Yes, that is. There's a a video somewhere of some drummer, Christian drummer that just does, has a YouTube channel, uh, they did like a behind the scenes look at Elevation Worship's track setup through Ableton. Yeah. And it it was like a two or three person job just to run the tracks. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. And there's twenty people on stage, maybe? Maybe not that many. Maybe sixteen. Uh, yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, that is a thing. Yeah. All right, well this probably goes to our last little question that we have, which is how do we keep the band together? Because as a worship director, you know, you've got to get all these people and you got to get them there. You got to make sure that they all work together well and do all that stuff. But even as the worship leader, the person who is just part of the band, I know who I like to play with. Yeah. I know who I want to play with. And I, I find a lot of importance in that. So what do you think as far as how do you keep the band together? What's some good advice you can give out there? I think as, from a worship director standpoint, uh, the biggest thing, and it all starts with this, and then more things need to follow, is you need to invest in those people. Like, I started this conversation saying, I'm really in a people position that occasionally I play music. And I, I mean that. The best way to to keep a band together is to get that band to be invested in you as much as you're invested in them. Because then they're going to show up. They're going to communicate with you. They're not going to be afraid to voice their opinions. Like that to me is huge. I always like like a a band that plays together and prays together stays together. Um, Yeah. And so playing together, I love being able to, and it's it's so hard to find times to do this, but have like non-appointment musicking, meaning we're not playing this song to prepare for a Sunday morning, but here's a song. I really like the song. I'd love to play it with you guys. And let's just worship just together. You know, and and when you do that, you're doing a bunch of different things. You're experiencing God together, which is beautiful and wonderful. And then also you're working on getting to know each other musically together. And then threefold, you're also practicing playing music and getting better yeah. at your craft. So that to me is where it all starts. Uh, praying together, playing together. Well, especially a song that you haven't necessarily played together much yeah. or at all. Like you're hearing off of each other, you're feeling yeah. off of each other and, you know, and you get that eye contact that says, hey, why don't you just like play something, you know, mm-hmm. and then the piano player goes off and does something yeah, and yeah. then they point at somebody and, you know, and do it and they go, all right, well, how about we do another chorus? And, you know, I know that for me, I, there's been a couple of bands like worship bands that I have been with and I have loved to be a part of and unfortunately has collapsed and gone away Mm -hmm. and a lot of it can boil down to one thing and that is forming relationships yeah and and by forming relationships i don't necessarily mean like okay let's go have a bonding time we'll go frolic in the wilderness or you know go get some ice cream What, what i mean is you form a relationship by someone's talking and you listen to what they say yep exactly. it's not that you have to agree you just listen to what they say 
You know, you mm. speak from a place that you're actually interested and you speak with joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how many times would you be like disagreeing with someone? And if you went in saying, okay, I'm saying this because I want to make sure that we're coming across like this during worship. Yeah. Because this is our goal and this is our plan and this is our purpose. And so now you're talking from joy and why you're interested in those things. You know, when somebody shows up and they're always complaining about why their stuff is buzzing, it's like, why is it all, why do I always have this noise? What's going on with this noise? And they're upset. And you're just going to go, you know what? Let's figure this out. Let's get this because I really want to hear your bass parts. I really want to hear your guitar parts. I really want whatever. Like, that's investing in the relationship. And getting them to the point where they trust you enough that if you say, hey, I know that's really important. We just need to get through rehearsal right now, but I would love to spend 10 minutes with you after rehearsal to figure out what's right. right. And then they go, okay, he's actually going to do that. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. That is. Well, yeah, yeah. there's the follow through. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, doing what you're saying you're going to do is, is huge. Yeah, well, and, and I would say my last one on the forming of a relationship would be actually remembering your role. Yeah. Who's the person that has the final say? Mm-hmm. So you may think that you need to, you know, start a song with, uh, like, Sweet Child of Mine. Boop, boop, doop, boop, doop, 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 you know, and you're just like, ah, that's the way it needs to go. And then during the... Uh, the little intro or during some sort of a, of an interlude, I need to be doing don't stop believing guitar yeah. riff, you know, it, it, like it needs to be there. But if you're the, the worship director, if you're the person who's making the decision, if you're the person that's supposed to be singing and leading the song or whatever, and you're like, that's distracting. Like it just, I don't like the way it fits. If you're like, well, I mean, I feel strongly about it, but I also know my role. My role yeah. is to support the music. So if the music that I want to do is not really supportive, then just because I can doesn't mean I should. Mm. Back to that one again. Right? Yeah, not, yeah. Another thing about like keeping a band together, is it's also about preparedness, too. I've always said that every Sunday I am prepared so that if everybody in the entire team called me and said, I'm sick, I won't be there tomorrow, I would still be ready to go. And I yeah. don't do that because I think that's ever going to happen. I know that will probably never happen, but I am so prepared that I know the ins and outs and the feels and the, I know everything about the songs and I'm prepared so that when someone has a question, I can answer it for them. Like being prepared personally, like a personal responsibility to being prepared musically is a great way to, before the rehearsal even starts, keeping the band together. Yeah, yeah, because there is more to keeping the band together than just, you know, keeping the the musicians themselves actually showing up each week and feeling like even though they may be letting you down because they can't show up one day, they they don't have to feel like they let you down so much that they should quit. Yeah. But also there's keeping the band together in time Mm -hmm. and musically as well. Because, yeah. you know, we've we've both been a part of a band where we're playing a song and it is a train wreck. Mm-hmm. I remember one time we started a song and we decided to play with a click and we decided to play with a track. All of a sudden we started playing and someone was off and we all followed them except the click and the track. 
And we were probably only like maybe 30 seconds into the song. And mm. I just walked up to the to the microphone and and I was like, hold on, everybody. Hold on, everybody. And I mean, we're singing the song we're doing. It. I was like, hold on, hold on. I was like, OK, this is an opportunity to show grace and mercy. <laughs> All right. So we would like to ask for grace and start the song over again because God deserves more. And we would like to give you mercy because that was terrible. So we are going to fix it right now and we are going to start over. And, you know, people laughed. Everything was, was funny. We started the song again and it turned out amazing. Those moments and being able to laugh about it is another, that's how you keep the band together. You just, yeah. you, you form those relationships and you, you do things that, that you, you wouldn't usually do. Um, just to make sure that you are there in case one of your people need you. Like, yeah. I'm also, it's important. I, I think it used to be more common maybe like seven, eight years ago. I think that worship leaders have come away from it a little bit, and I don't understand why. I'm a very vocal leader. Like, I'm, I, and I don't do it just for the band's benefit. I do it for the congregation's benefit. Like, if we're going to sing something again, I might just say, oh, we're going to sing that again. You know, yeah. or I'm going to count everybody in and count everybody out so that we end together. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to be verbal because it also clues in the congregation a little bit, too. You know, calling out the line of a new part of the song that might yeah. just be a little bit tonally different than the rest of it. So everyone goes, oh, we're going here now. Like, that's okay. Like, having yeah. clear, concise, like, this is what, or if something is about to change, if you're feeling the spirit being able to it's okay to talk it out and and be verbal about it like it's okay to verbally lead a congregation well and that brings up an interesting point that i'm not against people reading their music i'm not against people reading the song lyrics and singing along to it with the letters above it and doing all that there's nothing wrong with people doing that especially the volunteers if you're mm-hmm. paid musicians maybe okay maybe you need to go ahead and learn your stuff and and do yeah. it but just because it's not written on the page doesn't mean you don't get to say things. You know, if you're getting ready to do a song and you're singing and it's time for the chorus and you need to go ahead and you feel like it's appropriate or it fits to be like, this is amazing grace. And then you go, this is amazing grace. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to say the words. And so yeah. everyone's keying up and they're already thinking, yeah, here it is. This is it. It, it kind of it, you, you're kind of in a roundabout way touching on it. That's not a pet peeve I have, but there's a pet peeve I have in song select, which is a, a lot of people where you get your worship charts from. It's, yep. it's um, what they'll do is they'll take a recording of a song and they will write down everything that's said. So if uh, in a live recording some band is ad libbing this like thing, they'll write it out as that ad lib, and it confuses people. So like, oh yeah. I'm all, that is that is a huge pet peeve of mine. That like, no, just let that thing that was ad libbed stay in that moment, and I'm gonna do my own sort of ad lib, or maybe not an ad lib at all, and that's okay. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, sorry, a bit of a tangent, but it, it felt important to me. No, well, we could that. probably do one on just pet peeves alone, but that's True. not what this therapy was about. This no. therapy was just talking about the the worship leader as a guitarist. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, that probably brings us to a close with everything. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to throw out? I think starting the, you said that not every musician is um, 
destined to be a worship leader, but I think also at the same time that like that doesn't mean that it's not. Like worship leading is there is sort of a you're called to it, but it's also a learned trait. Um it's something that you learn yeah. how to do and it's something that if it's something that interests you, um there are a lot of great resources, but there's no better resource than just being in a worship team and and mm-hmm. being a sponge and and looking at opportunities to learn and to to listen to music and listen to people do things live. Being a worship leader is the greatest thing I've ever really done besides being married to my wife. Like that is, yeah, uh, I I love it. It is something I know I was born to do and called to do. Uh, So I highly recommend it, but you can learn how to do it. And there are very tangible skills that can be learned. There are some that are just, you're kind of born with the ability to like gauge a room and, and read a room. But yeah, yeah. If, you, if, you want to, if you want to lead others in worship, first of all, start with your own personal worship in your own experience and, 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 and worshiping God. But yeah, if you desire to lead others in worship or to be a part of worship, just start. Just do it because it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, to, to, to go with that as well, I, I would agree with all that. And that actually probably brings up another point is if you feel led to worship, but you don't necessarily feel like you've got the talent and you've got the ability. Being a part of a group that allows you to even just be unplugged and show up to practice and play along, like that's helpful. But also keep in mind that even if you're not the one on stage, there are so much you can learn by showing up to rehearsal, setting up sound system, watching how cameras are done, watch how lights are done, if that's something that your church does. There's more to leading worship than being the one that the people see. It may take a while for you to really develop your ability to lead in worship. And if it's something you feel called to and it's something that you feel led to, just because you feel called and led to that, that place to do it doesn't mean it meant right now. Yeah. It may have meant... I need you to get to this place and this is the avenue to do it. And, and that's important as well. And leading worship can look a lot of different ways. We have a very large tech team at my church because we do camera work. We do online streaming. We do sound. Um, and they are all part of the worship team just as much as the people on the platform. I think that that is something that um, for the longest time, it was the worship team and then the tech team, and they were two separate things. But no, they all fall under the umbrella of the leading and preparing and facilitating worship. Uh, so yeah. if you have gifts for technology, you can lead through technology. That is that is yeah. just as valid as any instrument being played on a Sunday morning. Yes, absolutely. And I will add... One other last little final thought to that, and that goes back to something else that you mentioned about the way that leading worship, leading on your own, that if you feel led to lead worship, that's something that maybe you should do on a daily, bi-weekly basis, just on your own. Pick Mm -hmm. up the guitar, play the song, sing it, even if you sound terrible, and just get comfortable leading, even if all you're leading is your other guitars and maybe some stuffed animals or something, you know, there, there's something in that as well. Start a YouTube channel, start playing and start and watch, be involved in it. So listen to worship music, but also listen to churches, 
my my church's website we live stream the service every sunday at www.meethope.live and there are so many like mine is just one example there are hundreds and hundreds of churches who because of covid are now live streaming and they are great resources of just seeing how people lead worship um and, yeah. and experiencing it and those are just as valid as important than the really expensive recordings that you can get on apple music and spotify yeah i completely agree all right well thanks for joining in barber this was good this was good therapy thank you thanks for having me well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. Until next time. <laughs>